most of them surprisingly live there 10 years or more. And I don't understand it. <laughs> Why are they not buying their houses? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> but most of them are coming from Japan or other parts of the country or whatever. They decide to stay here. They love the job. And then they just feel like they can't get into the California Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. This is Ash Patel. And today I am speaking with Monica Sawyer from San Jose, California. Monica, how are you? I am so great. Thanks for having me on the show, Ash. Nice to be here. Good. So you're a full-time podcast host and investor with 27 years of experience in a $12 million portfolio. Correct. I've got to hear the story. Tell me how you got started. <laughs> I actually got started in real estate kicking and screaming. <laughs> My parents actually came to this country as immigrants with $200 in their pocket and a dream to make a better life. And they had heard that the golden ticket to wealth was to buy real estate. 
So once they had me, they'd been here for a couple of years. They started saving all of their nickels and dimes, right? Because now they've got a child and their lives were filled with love and hope and excitement. So they started saving their nickels and dimes and bought their very first rental property. So that's how they get started. Now, fast forward 18 years later, and they paid for my college education through real estate. They did the same for both of my sisters. They paid for our weddings. Real estate really provided a huge amount of flexibility and choice for my parents and freedom. So it did a really good thing for them. But I also saw with my dad the level of stress that he went through, the toilets, the tenants, the mortgages, all of that stuff. So at a very young age, I decided, no way, I'm not doing that. Not worth it. Money is not worth that level of stress. Then I graduated from college and it was a recession. I couldn't get a job and I was starting to freak out. And I had a conversation with my dad one evening that completely changed life. And I was telling him that I was so stressed out and how was I going to make it on my own? And I wasn't sure how to do this adult thing. And what was I going to do about money? Right. <laughs> and he said to me over the dinner table, he said, you know, Monica, everybody has stress and everybody has money issues. Do you want poor people money issues or do you want rich people money issues? My first thought was rich people have money issues. <laughs> but then I decided, yes, I was going to do the rich people money issues. So kind of kicking and screaming and against my will, I decided, okay, I'm going to try this whole real estate thing. So that's how the whole thing started. So this was right out of college. Well, it was a couple of years after college, after I'd been struggling really hard. And did you start out on your own or did you take over some of your parents' properties? Good question. So actually what I did was my husband and I got engaged and he was my husband. Anyways, my boyfriend and I got engaged <laughs> and um, <laughs> for our wedding, we asked everybody for cash. So awesome. at the wedding in that year, we got about $10,000 in cash. So we put down, I think it worked out to 5% on our very first primary residence. And then from there, this was kind of an intuitive path, right? From there, we, once that appreciated, we took equity out of that house. And then I bought another primary residence and rented this one out. Then I did that again in another four years. And then we hit 2008, 2009. Out of that equity line, I was able to now buy five houses. I also bought a piece of land. So that's kind of how it all grew. So I just started with gift money. And is your husband in this business with you? No, he's a software programmer. He knows okay. nothing about it. So you dove in and I'm assuming you caught the real estate bug and at some point fell in love with this. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what are you doing now? I'm kind of doing the same thing. My whole approach is to keep it as simple and easy and blissful as possible, right? I want it to be just kind of in flow. So I do executive homes. I started with our starter home and then grew it and grew it. So now all the properties that I have are executive homes. And what I love about that is the tenants. I kind of did this the backwards way. I decided who I wanted to do business with, which your tenants are your business partners, right? Right. So I decided I wanted to be in business with people that didn't need me. They just wanted a nice home. So I decided on executives, bought properties that they would want to live in. Then just kind of turned it over to them. I do the little bit of the training, but they handle everything. I never get the phone calls for the toilets or whatever it is that might go wrong. The termites, I don't get calls because rent isn't going to be on time. Everything just kind of is in flow. So that's what I'm doing now. So executive homes, is that just higher end homes? 
It's just higher end. And is it short-term renters or longer-term rentals? Longer term. So the smallest amount of time I've had an executive there is two years. Most of them surprisingly live there 10 years or more. And I don't understand it. <laughs> Why are they not buying their houses? Absolutely. Right? <laughs> but most of them are coming from Japan or other parts of the country or whatever. They decide to stay here. They love the job. And then they just feel like they can't get into the California market. And how often does the individual pay the rent versus their corporation? It's always the individual. Okay. So you don't have any company contracts. It's always just individuals. How do you market for that audience? I don't. What happens is this is a really cool thing with an executive. They have executive parties, which is why they want to have a nice house, right? When one of the executives is moving, they start to tell all of their friends that they're going to be moving. The wives have been to the house a lot. Wives make decisions on houses, right? Absolutely. And one person starts thinking about moving and the other wives think about maybe I could move then. So I haven't actually had to market a property in years. So 27 years and $12 million. What does your portfolio consist of today in addition to the executive homes? Just the executive homes mostly. So I have six executive homes. Actually, I have a property in Belize. I've got a couple of properties, small time properties that I'm carrying notes on. I'm in a couple of syndications and I'm also doing a construction project, which itself is worth about five and a half million dollars. Tell me more about that. The construction project. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually news. When you talk about the $12 million, that does not include the construction project. Just so you know, this is kind of a new thing, but basically we bought a piece of land that was in a redevelopment area in Los Altos, California, got it for a song because the zoning wasn't right. Nine years later, we figured out the zoning. (laughs) We just started construction about two months ago. So we're really excited. We just poured concrete last week. Amazing. So So did you have to fight the entire nine-year time period? We fought. We fought and fought. It's not fighting constantly. Once a month, we'd go to a council meeting. In between, we'd have a couple of conversations with our engineer or architect or whatever. So it wasn't nine years of fighting. It took nine years to kind of get through the whole process. We did not have to rezone, which was great. But the council, because they're trying to figure out exactly what they wanted to do with that area, kept changing their minds. I will admit it was an insanely frustrating experience. And had we known it was going to take us nine years, we would not have done that. But on the other side of it, I'm really glad we did. My heart is really about making communities better. Awesome. So even with my executive homes, I buy distressed homes in good areas and fix them. So this is another one of those things. We're going to be building executive homes. We're going to be upgrading an area. I love that. Good. Were there any tactics that you used to coerce that city council? (laughs) I was a woman on the team and it was really interesting. And for you ladies listening, I really want you to hear this. The council and the planning and engineering, all of these departments are used to dealing with construction workers and contractors and builders who are mostly men, and men have a different way of approaching things. They tend to be a little bit more aggressive. They tend to be a little bit more to the point. They tend to get frustrated when they hear no 10,000 times. (laughs) My approach was much softer. I went into every single meeting and I started the meeting just reminding everybody, we're on the same team. 
We both want to upgrade that area. We just need to find a place where we can meet. And that was the approach every single time. When I would go into the council meetings and stand up in front of the council, I would tell them, I'm trying to upgrade the area. We're not trying to make every single nickel we can out of this. Tell us what you need. They would complain about something and I would say, I'm going to make it beautiful. (laughs) So the way that I talked about it, I think was a breath of fresh air from what they normally hear. Do you know what I mean? Good for you. I don't know that I could have been patient for that long. I don't know that I could have either if I had been prepared. (laughs) Good for you. So with all of your years of experience, you love executive homes. What are your challenges with those types of homes? I only carry six properties. So if I end up with a vacancy, it's a big deal. Each place gets a rent of about $6,000. So that disappears. When you have more properties, you have a lot more diversification. Vacancies aren't a big deal. I will say in the last five years, I've only had one month of vacancy, but that one month was not comfortable. You're kind of stressing out. But my systems are now so easy and so streamlined that I don't worry about it too much. But I think that would be the thing. When I have a vacancy or... In 2008, when I lost values on all my properties and I lost 50% of value, that was millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, so, so that was stressful. Right now, you're fully rented. Are you doing anything to continue to get the word out about your executive homes? Maybe try to line up future tenants or will you worry about that only when the time comes? I usually only worry about it when the time comes. People know that I do a show. They know on Facebook what I am up to. So people know. So they've got their eyes on me anyways. Usually I get about two to three months notice when someone's going to leave because they're moving to something else big. They have to prep, right? Their friends are hearing about it that early. Often I have it rented two weeks before they even leave. Awesome. And would you recommend other investors go into those Mm -hmm. higher end executive homes? It really depends. It's an expensive market to get into. And I certainly did not start there. I started on the smaller properties and worked my way up. If you can work your way up, it's like a dream. The only time I hear from my tenants is if there's a big problem, like a fence blew down in a storm recently or for Christmas and my birthday. It's really, really a lovely way to run a business. Great. So tell me about your podcasting. Yeah. So the podcast is called Real Estate Investing for Women. And we talk about real estate strategy, obviously, but my whole approach is about bliss. So I want people to have a holistic approach to business and to real estate so that they can live a really joyful, blissful, simple life. I don't want all the stress of real estate. That's how I started, right? So on the show, that's what we talk about. We talk about mindset. We talk about heart set. We talk about strategies. We talk about money smart. So all the different ways that you can invest, get money, like in self-directed IRAs. There's lots of different ways that we get private money, all of that stuff. So we talk about all of those things, but definitely from a woman's perspective, because like I said, we bring something special to the market. And I think women don't understand that. We're so powerful. I will tell you that Los Altos had decided at one point to turn our property into a parking lot, not a built up parking lot, a flat parking lot. We would have lost a million dollars, but it was because of my skill of communication that that turned around. Us women bring amazing things to the market. I think my show really helps to amplify our strengths. So when you started out with the podcast, was that your intention? to get women into real estate, get them into investing, get their finances up to par. Mm -hmm. What are your biggest accomplishments in doing that? Yes, that was the thing is I really want to empower women to have the freedom of choice and financial freedom gives us that freedom of choice. So what were my biggest accomplishments? With your podcast and maybe some of your guests. 
Yeah. So some of my guests, I've talked to Hal Elrod, I've talked to Lisa Gibbons, I've spoken to Dr. Joe Vitale, I've spoken to many of the big names in real estate. So that's been amazing. One of the questions you sent me was, what is my best ever resources? It's my guests. They're amazing. I'm talking to these genius people every single day. They're so much better at what they're doing than I am. And so they lift me up, right? So that's one of the biggest things is that I just have become such a better businesswoman. And it has increased my own wealth through the resources that they offer. So that's one thing. But the other thing is every single day, I get either a new review or an email or something on Facebook or whatever saying how I've changed someone's life. Someone started in real estate and now look at what they are. I had one woman that said, I've been looking at buying real estate for two years, started listening to her podcast, and now I have 10 properties. So that is the thing that I love the most about it. That's what keeps me going. Crazy question. If you had to pick one, the real estate investing or the podcast, which would you choose? You can only have one. Oh, so hard. I would have to pick the real estate investing and I'll just say this as to why. I'm on my retirement track. The honest truth is that David and I could retire right now if we wanted to. I want to have a little bit more of a cushion because we have aging parents and some other things that I want to get taken care of. So we're kind of looking at retiring in two to five years. The podcast is a hobby that gives me a lot of meaning, but the real estate is what's going to give us the life that we want once we retire. I can't really walk away from that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So are you continuing to look for additional executive homes? Absolutely. I'm actually looking for a couple more executive homes and also one more building project. I've got my eyeballs on a piece of property that I'm in love with. Never fall in love with property ladies or anybody, (laughs) but but I'm going to try on this one (laughs) and we'll see what happens, but I am looking for another building project. So what is your next executive home? What are you looking for and how are you going about finding it? So I do the traditional route. This is another thing that I'm sure nobody else says on your show, but I use the MLS and a realtor (laughs) and I tell them areas that I'm looking at. We have some really big growth areas in the San Jose area right now. One of our malls is going from sort of mid tier to high tier. And then we have a Google campus coming in. Now we don't know what's actually going to happen on the other side of COVID, but we have a big Google campus stated to go in there. So I'm looking in those areas for homes for the kinds of people that would be living around the Google campus or in this sort of higher end area. It's a little bit up and coming. An executive home, is it just so much more expensive than the average home in the area? Or is it one of many homes in a high-end neighborhood? It's usually one of many homes in a high-end neighborhood. I am never the best home in a neighborhood ever. I like to be mid-tier for the neighborhood. And what are your typical cash-on-cash returns for these executive homes? That's a good technical question and I don't actually know. Let's say this. I have invested over 25 years, about $250,000 in these homes. I bring in about $5,000 a month on those homes. Now, the equity is significantly higher. And this is a thing that when you talk about retirement, you talk about, we have huge amounts of equity in California real estate. How are we going to now turn that into cash flow? And that's the project for the next two to five years. I don't actually know how to do that yet because I've never done it. <laughs> so passive that's investing. The next piece. That's right. Well, it's always been passive investing, but now we're going to move into cash flowing passive investing as opposed to equity growth. Awesome. Monica, what's your best ever real estate investing advice? Be persistent. 
don't give up. The market will throw you some zingers. <laughs> Things get tough. Sometimes you wonder what the heck you're doing, but stay persistent and stay the course. And you've proven that with your nine-year fight with the city council. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Are you yeah. ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Wonderful. First, a quick word from our partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. All right. What's the best ever book that you've recently read? I would say my favorite is The One Thing by Gary Keller. It Great really book. keeps me focused. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I actually am a founding member of the She Angels Foundation. We basically fund nonprofits run by women. I'm heavily involved in that. And I absolutely love it. Awesome. So a VC firm for female-led organizations. That's exactly right. That's um, great. And we've got two avenues. One is nonprofit and one is profit. I think it's sheangels.com or something. Wonderful. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> and how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Go to blissfulinvestor.com. Got it. Monica, what an incredible podcast today. It's great for you to share your story about your parents coming to this country as immigrants. You had no desire to go into real estate. You went in kicking and screaming and you've done amazing things with your podcast, your foundation, your success in real estate. And thank you for sharing your experience with the executive homes. What a great podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Ash. This was a have, pleasure. Have a great day.